It's all ball bearings these days. Fletch Mac and Cheese, next. When your weekend's all spent up and you got Monday coming down the pike, sometimes all you need is a little comfort to get you through to Monday. Mac and Cheese Movies, where we believe in comfort food and comfort movies. Ah, oh, for God, Don, Don. What is this man saying? What is this man doing? What in the hell's the matter with you? What is this man's name? My name is Igor Stravinsky. Hi there, I'm uh, Harry S. Truman. I'm uh, Don Corleone. They call him Fletch. Fletch! Fletch! Fletch, that's Fletch. He's good at defending himself. Better tie your shoelaces. Disguising himself. (laughs) And getting himself into trouble. Well, it be Fletch. Go ahead. Make my day. He's a reporter. There are no tags on these mattresses. Who's about to write the story of a lifetime. Will you kill me? Sure. If he lives. Thanks a lot! There isn't a woman he can't charm. Can I borrow your towel for a sec? My car just hit a water buffalo. A question he won't ask. You and your wife are currently alive, I take it. Drop your shorts and bend over, Mr. Babar. A risk he won't take. Probably feel 100% Moon River. To get to the truth. It looks like you two have a lot to talk over. We'll just catch the last 10 minutes of Dynasty. Universal Pictures presents Chevy Chase as Fletch. My hero. Welcome to it. Hello. Welcome to Mac and Cheese Movies. I'm Scotty Coppage. And it hates Tommy Lasorda, Chad Newman. (laughs) All right. Hey, you and Tommy Lasorda. I hate Tommy Lasorda. Smash. In honor of Fletch, we are having a steak sandwich with another steak sandwich and charging it to the Underhills. Let me tell you how I made this steak sandwich, Chad. Got like one pound of ribeye. Okay. Got an onion. Cut up the onion. Get some provolone cheese. Um, caramelize the onions. Then put them over on, on like a plate. And then I cook the steak on a skillet. Thin slice. I didn't do it as thin as I needed to. It's supposed to be like paper thin. Um, mm-hmm. Salt and pepper. Put it on there. Then when they get, that gets cooked, after about five, ten minutes... You put the onions back in there, and then you toast some, like, hoagie buns. And then I I tried one with mayonnaise, because I don't use mayonnaise, but this recipe called for it. So, you know, my dedication to the show. Um, So I wanted to taste what this was like with the mayonnaise and without the mayonnaise. I couldn't taste the mayonnaise, so I feel like either that accentuated the taste and it morphed into this deliciousness, or maybe I just put like a no thank you helping of mayonnaise on this thing and there's just so much steak and provolone and onions that it just absorbed it i like that term no thank you portion i like that i'm gonna adopt that it's um how much of this would you like i'll have a no thank you portion that's fine (laughs) so what's really great about this recipe though was it didn't take a whole long time to make this like some stuff for the show it takes an hour or there's a lot of stuff involved with it I really was able to knock this out in like 40 minutes. So this is like a nice little meal like to have like when you get off from work. Yeah. When you when you put the ribeye in the skillet, what what do you put in the skillet first? Do you put you put olive oil? I said olive I just did olive oil. Okay. Uh for a while Lacey was doing these I think and I think she got the recipe from Gordon Ramsay or something, but doing steaks in the skillet, she did this combination of uh butter 
and garlic and I think rosemary and thyme, like some other herbs in there and kind of get a good base of that. And then she would do uh, the steaks just for a brief period, really, on either side uh, and then put them in the oven and let them cook for a time. We like ours medium rare. Yeah. But holy cow, with that butter in there, it was delicious. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You know but that's you know, that's a full-fledged steak. Yeah, a steak a- sandwich. Was your steak nice and tender for the sandwich? It was good. I mean, it wasn't like the most tender thing ever, but that's kind of, you know, me slicing this and I'm not really doing, yeah, it's not like a, if I, when I do a steak normally, I'll do skillet for like three minutes on each side and then I'll put it in the oven for like, I don't know what it is, 15 minutes or something. And then it, then wrap it in foil and let it rest. And then like, Ooh, chef's kiss. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Call. But um, yeah, with this, sometimes, you just, just got to try it out. Sometimes you, if I've gotten a steak sandwich before where it was too tough, where you're like, oh, kind of yeah. like dog gnawing on a shoe or something, like oh, on the side mouth trying to rip it apart. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like That's that. Good. It wasn't like the yeah. Doberman in the movie could only eat it. Can we? So, Dobermans, it seems like in the 80s there were Dobermans in a lot of movies. Yeah. Are there Dober, are Dobermans in movies anymore? I don't think so. I don't think I. They might be like there might be a concerted effort to not kind of demonize a dog or stereotype a dog. Uh huh. So maybe like if it's a mean dog, it's like a, it's just like a German Shepherd, and everyone loves like a German Shepherd already. Okay. So you kind of got that. Because I, I think if you showed me a picture of a Doberman, my knee jerk reaction one is probably fueled by movies from the eighties like Fletch. Because there were always these mean security dogs. And two is that the dog itself is probably going to be mean. Yeah. It's so, like uh, yeah, Rottweilers you know. and Dobermans and Rambo and Mannequin. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They all go hand in hand. They all go hand in hand. Um, I actually thought of you specifically and your love for dogs because uh, hopefully your listeners know what a dog – lover and supporter and caregiver you are uh you and shannon when the dog jumps on his car and he's driving off i'm i'm pretty sure that's like just the real dog like kind of getting tossed off the car and i i thought i don't know if it hurt that dog i think i mean the dog climbs over the roof but on off the trunk he lands and his legs are kind of splayed and i and i thought for a moment i wonder what scotty thinks about this dog stunt that may or may not be what they would do today. They definitely not do that today. Um, I mean, a lot of stuff now is like CGI when they have to do yeah. stuff like that with dogs. But I think there was still some, I mean, I mean the eighties, you know, was the wild west. Um, I don't know if they were in, Hey, no animal was harmed in this feature. I did not see that disclaimer in the credits. Oh, that's well, a good point. I didn't see that. So I don't know when that when that really kind of started coming up for them. Yeah, so, so maybe that dog did get hurt, and or definitely it wasn't a, it wasn't a safe stunt. Yeah, they didn't make take extra steps to ensure that the dog was okay. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so knowing you like I do, and seeing that, I thought, oh, what was Scott's thinking about this? This killer Doberman, whose only 
shots or appearance in the movie are with teeth snarling and just saliva all over the place. It's like a hound from hell or something. <laughs> in in Mannequin, it's like a little bulldog and he's got the ice pack on his head. Um, right. He's like, look what he did to Rambo. And then like he's got <laughs> he gets a Doberman and he's like, Terminator, get him. Yeah, the dog has this killer name. <laughs> the dog has one role to kill. All right. Wasn't the security guard also the guy the from Police Academy? Yeah. And pl- yes, he, what, G G W Bailey, I think is his name. Is that him? Yeah. Okay. And like our th- I think our friend Mike was in a play with him one time. I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. In San Marcos yeah. when it was uh, what was it what did it used to be called Southwest Texas State? Something like that. Yeah. And then now it's Texas State University. I should hopefully Mike's not listening to this, so he'll be upset that I butchered his alma mater's name <laughs> like we kind of talk about this we've talked about like movies we you know we did big trouble in little china we were young when we watched that and we, when we watched this we were young and like i got a feel for this and like the police academy movies like i want to do this as a career because it looks like hijinks and fun like right. i want to be a reporter because oh you get to do all these disguises and you have to have all of these adventures and you get the girl right. and all it just it looks like yeah, I want to be a reporter. That looks awesome. Being exactly. Him, exactly. He's, he's, I don't think any of that stuff holds up in the court of law, like how he got all the information, because he's like stealing medical records, all the stuff he's doing under false pretenses. Like, uh, So that's in rewatching it for the podcast today, I was taking note of the multiple instances of things that worked out for him 30, almost 40 years ago but would not at all work today. <laughs> so, you know, just claiming to be a doctor, going one, there being like a room at a hospital where all the records are kept in folders, and he's just going through it. You know, uh, I did think it was strange also that right next to the records room is where an autopsy is being performed. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's that's an interestingly organized hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- yeah, uh, Rita wants this. Who's Rita? Like my my, secre- my secretary or whatever. What all this all the stuff he's doing? Right. And and that nobody picks up on. He's not using obscure pop references, pop cultural references with these names. I mean, this is these are names that people should know, right? Gordon Liddy and Don Corleone, but uh, but nobody's nobody's picking up on it. Because even at the end, Alan Stanwyck still thinks his name is Ted Nugent. <laughs> he doesn't think, oh, this is this is ridiculous. Of course his name's not Ted Nugent. Uh, Which I think I've told you, I have I have a personal Ted Nugent story. And I may, I've probably told you this before. I think, well, well not on the show. Um, okay, well, so here we go. For the first time for perpetuity, um, we were living in Waco and it was Christmas Eve and Ted Nugent li- does not live in Waco, but he lives in Temple, I think, which is maybe an hour south of Waco or so. And I went to Target on Christmas Eve to pick up some last-minute items. And standing in line right in front of me was this – there's this guy who was in these hunting clothes that clearly – well, the impression I had was that he'd been out on the hunt maybe for a while and was just now coming back into 
civilization. It frizzy, frizzy, kind of grayish, light brown ponytail under a hat. And he was he was buying Christmas gifts. And the girl, the cashier, paid him no mind. I kind of looked. Sure enough, it was Ted Nugent. And uh, he was actually very sweet to the cashier. I I said, hey, you're Ted Nugent. <laughs> you're usually better than that, Chad. And he, he turned to me and he smiled and he said, Merry Christmas. And I said, Merry Christmas to you too. And that was it. That's great. But, I mean, yeah, apart so, I mean, from the insurrection stuff and all the other stuff. Pre, exactly. This yeah. is pre-insurrection. I got to meet pre-insurrection Ted Nugent. Um, he did not smell great. Uh, in fact, that lent to the idea that maybe he's been out in the woods for uh, days, weeks, you know, who knows. Um, I guess the militia was probably assembled and he was running drills with them. I'm not sure. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So, so Erwin M. Fletcher is not convincing me that his name is Ted Nugent if I run into him later today. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> According to the legends of IMDb, Erwin M. Fletcher is a newspaper reporter being offered a large sum to off a cancerous millionaire, but is on the run, risking his job, and finding clues when it's clear the man is healthy. First taste, when did you first see it? What is your relationship to it? Why is it a mac and cheese movie? So, I, do, I, I'm, I don't recall seeing it in the movie theater. I would have been, I mean, when this movie came out, 1984, 85? Like 85, 85 or 86, yeah. So I'm, I'm fairly certain I did not see it in the movie theater, probably on VHS. My, my parents probably rented it and we watched it. And then it was like a lot of movies from that time on HBO. And I'm sure we recorded it and then just rewatched it over and over again. Um, I love the movie. I, I feel like I've always loved the movie. Um, I quote lines from the movie today. Um, I Lacey could probably tell you the number of times I've asked if I could borrow her towel because <laughs> my car just hit a water buffalo. <laughs> She's yet to loan it to me, by the way. Uh, I want that on the record as well. well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I love the movie. Um, what like, about you? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see this in the theater. I think I saw this probably on HBO, and it was on cable like all the time for like the '90s and everything. I remember watching it. You know, my dad watching it with me and like, yeah, this is, this is funny. This is why it's funny. And this is, you know, kind of explaining some things or, or what's going on in the story. And you get to see Chevy Chase really be like kind of a badass. This is kind of like the Chevy Chase badass kind of era. Yeah, for sure. Uh, now that, that was something I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, um, he's not, he's not Ty Webb from Caddyshack but he's not Clark Griswold. He's like, he really is like a cool guy, like engaging and charming. And yeah, I, he's, he's really a, a hero in this movie. Yeah. I mean, like, I think most people, when they think of Chevy Chase, think about Clark Griswold and there's probably a whole, I mean, generations of people who don't know, like, I mean, l listen to this run. He had Caddyshack, National Lampoon Vacation, Spies Like Us, Three Amigos, Funny Farm, the movie Nothing But Trouble, 
and Memoirs of an Invisible Man, which I really do like Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Nothing But Trouble was kind of weird, but it was also, he was still cool in that movie too. There was another movie he did where he was, um, I think it's called Oh Heavenly Dog or something, with like Benji in it, where he he dies, he's killed, and he comes back as Benji to solve this mi- murder mystery. Oh, do you, I've never heard of that. It was one, another one that was like on H. It was on HBO, I guess, way back when. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a movie that we loved. I mean, you know, when HBO is like your outlet for movies, your primary outlet. I kind of all thought, oh, gosh, all these movies must be masterpieces. Mm-hmm. Like everyone loves these movies. By the way, on an, as an aside, we should do a podcast for Nothing But Trouble. That movie is like a nightmare. I mean, like a real nightmare. Like you wake up. Because it was just so bizarre and weird, and it truly is nothing but trouble. Yeah, but somehow it still has this weird appeal. Yeah, it's got. Is John Candy in that, or is it? No, it's Dan yeah, Aykroyd. It's, it's Dan Aykroyd. They're both in it. I think they're oh, both Jan, in it. Oh yeah, John Candy and and then plays a woman, doesn't and, he? Yeah, and, and, and Demi Moore. I think they're playing multiple parts in that movie. But and there's these like weird the train, thing. the train like thing for the for, for the food and. Oh, that and the weird like baby men who like have to stay outside. I mean, yeah, it's just such a bizarre movie. <laughs> such a bizarre movie. I, I wanted to, I wrote this down because you mentioned it. So you said you remember watching Fletch with your dad. Do you connect this movie to your dad? Maybe a little bit when I see it. I think about me and my dad watching it. Yeah. I think the same thing because uh, I'm – I'm pretty sure the first, you know, however many times I saw it was with my dad and I'm sure he was, well, he kind of introduced me to these, these actors like Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd. I mean, I remember him telling me like, these guys are funny and are important. So you, you know, we should watch spies like us. We should watch these movies with the the early, the early SNL cast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is what we're going to go. This is what we're going to go see. You know, it wasn't even like a, Hey Scotty, what movie do you want to go see? It's like, hey, hey, we're gonna go see Fletch, right, on Friday night or whatever. You know, that was kind of how movies were done, like when I was growing up. There weren't as many movies, so you know, there may have only been like four movies at the theater, and one was like a sex thriller, the other was a horror movie, and then there was Fletch. So yeah, <laughs> you're, you're gonna go see Fletch. <laughs> Hey, Walter, let's go see a sex thriller this weekend. It's $3 movie tickets today. And, uh, do that. Yeah. What, today is, is today like National Movie Day or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's like $3 movie tickets at all the If theaters. you do that, we have to please in the comments or something when you post this podcast, give us an update on which sexual thriller you and your father saw today for $3. Uh, Rochelle Rochelle <laughs> this is what we went to see <laughs> um, but back to your point I think Chevy Chase was never cooler than he was in Fletch especially the first Fletch I saw the second Fletch but I don't, re- I don't remember anything about it I do remember seeing it though I remember seeing it as well um, and, and I remember liking it but it seems this movie is somehow shot kind of is it gritty? Does it kind of have like a gritty or a grimy feel to it? I don't know. Maybe it's just the cameras weren't. It looks. It looks kind of. It definitely looks. I would say like dated. 
Yeah. Uh, and maybe that is the cameras. Um, and maybe that is like some other stuff or maybe the style of shooting and everything back then. Cause this director wasn't like a young director who, who did it. I saw he was born in 1938. Yeah. He's so, I mean, he's what in his fifties, like when this movie yeah. comes out and he directed the golden child and, um, wildcats. And I love wildcats. And so he's uh, the candidate with Robert Redford. And that's oh. like, like an early sixties movie, I think. And Bad News Bears, so it's like, so this, so that guy's probably, it's not like he's that Robert Zemeckis, George Lucas, new new school of director. So he's kind of, he kind of cut his teeth more in the, the grittier 70s movies. Or, I mean, Bad, News, yeah. Bad News Bears, nobody's beautiful in Bad yeah. News Bears. Mm-hmm. Walter Matthau, I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, it's not glossy, it's, yeah. these are... So maybe that's what Fletch is coming out of. Maybe it's coming mm-hmm. out of kind of that more uh, that aesthetic from the seventies. Yeah, and that can make sense. There's no gloss to this movie. But Chevy Chase does look amazing, and he looks sexy. Yeah, he's very handsome. The hair is kind of yeah. like shaggy, and uh, it, there's no there's no like real slapstick element to it. It's him being really kind of makes you wonder why he didn't do more movies like this. Well, I mean, we've kind of talked, I mean, we've talked off camera about Chevy Chase, like kind of, he kind of got blacklisted because he was such a dick. And I don't know if that's because of, you know, cocaine use in the eighties or he was such a big star and he was like so demanding that people didn't want to work with him. But it's so hard. It feels like a lot of these actors are hard to work with, but you still do it because they bring in the box office Right, you um, get your movie made. So it's like, well, what? How bad does he have to be to? And then, like, because, like, even now, like him, the stuff with community and everything, like, it's like you're in your seventies and you're getting kicked off of like a TV show. Like, what are you doing, Chevy? Um, a TV show that's not even like a big hit. I mean, it's terrific, but it's not. You know, it's not. It's no Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> it's no Glee. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I also thought of um, this movie came out a year after Beverly Hills Cop, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, because of that, because it's just one year, there's probably no influence of Beverly Hills Cop on this movie, right? Except maybe the maybe score. The, maybe the music, yeah. And, and the the score is the same person, right? Yeah. Right. So, and that's that's really what got me thinking about it. Watching it, I was thinking, man, this is really like. They great. They create this great Fletch theme, this synthesizer theme, and that's what made me look. This reminds me of the Beverly Hills Cop theme. I wonder if this is. Yeah. What, did this come out before or after we saw Axel Foley? It came out afterwards, but just the year after, they would have already been shooting Fletch, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's probably not in response to that, but but it has some similarities. You kind of have um, the hero is like a non-conventional. Or unconventional hero, mm-hmm. you know, and, and always is, smartest person in the room, and witty, yeah. and exactly quick witted. He's he's the smartest guy in the room, and um, and he's this this unconventional character is solving the mystery that nobody else can solve. Uh, yeah. So anyway, it reminded me of Beverly Hills Cop. Interestingly enough, it kind of reminded me also of 
the Big Lebowski and Inherent Vice. I, I was I was thinking I was thinking that too. But like when he's in when the chief of police is talking to him. Yeah, that's I thought about that Big Lebowski as well. Um, and Inherent Vice, which is very similar, to, I think, to the Big Lebowski. Or I, I understand it came out. The book came out before, but um, but again, this idea that we kind of have these unconventional detectives really. And in fact, there's a scene in Fletch when he goes, when he's going to Sally Ann Kavanaugh's house that she has, you know, abandoned or vacated that day. And he's looking under the bed and the, that goofy guy with the shotgun comes in. So in that, in the setup of that scene, when Fletch first comes in, he pulls out a pack of cigarettes and he lights a cigarette. And that, and I even remarked to Lacey, this is the first time in the movie that we see Fletch smoking. Why are we seeing, like, why is he smoking? It's not the first time smoking is shown in the movies when he's in that big uh, celebrating Fred the Dorf, Dorfman. There's smoke in the air. People are clearly smoking. But why, why is Fletch smoking? And the only thing I could come up with was with the lighting, it kind of made him look like uh, one of these old school detectives, like a, uh, like a Raymond Chandler novel, like a film noir almost. And so even though it doesn't really make sense for the story for him, all of a sudden to have a cigarette two thirds of the way through the movie. Oh, it kind of serves as this homage maybe to these old PIs who solve these crimes, you know, investigate. Yeah. I I think you're, I think there's probably a whole lot of that that we're not really up on because we don't have maybe that, 40s, 50s, 60s movie background. Which the director, having yeah. grown up and having been born in the 1870s, would have been very familiar with. <laughs> and also, can we say that this movie does not do Provo, Utah any favors? <laughs> what, that they're all like... Hicks. Hicks, and like, let yeah. me show you the wedding album. Oh, we got plenty more pictures. Like Exactly. I mean, like, just watching it, it looks like this depressed rural place and having been to Provo, Utah, it is not like that. It's, uh, I mean, granted time has passed, but it's a pretty booming city. Pretty revitalized. Probably Fletch, Fletch shone a light on the, on the plight of Provo, Utah. So the town elders got together and said, we we need to do better. Maybe they were like, you know what? We're going to take these tax credits from Fletch and rebuild our city. (laughs) <laughs> right. <laughs> we can't have Marvin and Velma Stanwick as the spokespeople for our town. Damn right. Do you think these are some other people that were rumored to be Fletch? Okay. Have you looked at this list at all? Um, I've seen some. I don't know if I know the complete list. Burt Reynolds? Which like yeah. Burt Reynolds is I like him in Smokey and the Bandit. I like Burt Reynolds okay, but he's not it's not Chevy Chase, fucking flat. He's like this would be a totally different movie. This would be more of a seventies movie, probably. Right. With Burt Reynolds, Charles Grodin. I saw the Charles Grodin thing. Now he claims that I, I didn't see that anybody else, you know, corroborated that claim. But so my first impression of Charles Grodin was in the Muppet, the Great Muppets Caper, okay. Muppet Caper. Yeah. So. I've never seen him as anything but a bad guy in movies. He's in Dave, and he's a good guy in Dave. But was there a time when Charles Grodin was a leading man, like like winning, like selling movies? He's in Midnight Run. 
with um, De Niro. I mean, do you say, hey, there's this great Charles Grodin movie you should watch, or do you say there's this De Niro movie you should watch? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't no, no, I don't. I, I don't say that. And then, like, I think when he, um, you know, I think he'd been in Beethoven and he'd been in like Dave and stuff. And then, like, it came out. He said, "I'm retiring from acting." And my parents are like, oh my God, Charles Grodin is retiring from acting. And I, so I have that reaction too. I'm like, oh my God, Charles Grodin's retiring from acting. <laughs> and you're like, you're like 15. I'm like 12. I'm like, oh my God, Beethoven's dad's retiring. That was a travesty to you. <laughs> so it's kind of like, um, I, I understand that Elliot Gould was a big thing in the seventies. Like he was a big, like hunky star at some point, maybe. And so I've always wondered that about Charles Grodin. Like, was there some time that we've all forgotten that he was something to write home about? No offense. Is he alive? I don't know if he's alive. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, no offense to the Grodin estate or to a now 95-year-old Charles Grodin if he's still out there. But, yeah, you got to veto Charles Grodin's fledge. Yeah. Um, here, here's and the, the, go ahead. The author, the author vetoed these guys, right? Not, that's what I saw was that he had approval over final approval over the cast. Yeah, I think I think I think so. David Bowie. David Bowie. That's, that's what I read. <laughs> no, no, I don't want to see David Bowie's Fletch either. I'd like to see. I would like to see a, like a like a mock impression of what he would even be like doing some of these lines. I can't. You know, that does bring up a, another issue that we should explore at some point. How much of this was in the script and how much did they just let Chevy Chase go? But I just can't picture David Bowie. Like, he's roller skating and uh, like a robe and a fake beard and falls down next to Gummy. And he's like, Gummy, you don't know me. <laughs> I'm a reporter, Gummy. Is that your Bowie impression? That's my you're, that's my Bowie. Your Bowie yeah. is fledging. I'm busting fat Sam Gummy. <laughs> he just calls him Gummy the whole time. Like every statement to him, he says his name. <laughs> okay, that's a terrible Bowie impression. I think it's me doing. In I'm like trying to do Flight of the Concords doing Bowie. So it's an impression of an impression, and a poorly done one at that. Well, what about this one, Mick Jagger? Yeah, also big no. Big no. Mick Jagger, what? I think of that John Mulaney. I don't know if you he has his yeah, comedy bit yeah. where he talks about not funny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Mick Jagger is Fletch. What a nightmare of a shoot that could have been. <laughs> but why am I calling her Larry? She's a she's a woman. Not funny. Yeah, no. This isn't a Dancing in the Street reunion. We're not having Bowie or Jagger as Fletch. Did you ever see the movie Free Jack? Is Mick Jagger in that? He's the he's yeah he's um, Emilio Estevez is in it, and Mick Jagger's kind of like the villain in it. That's hunting him down. So no, I didn't. But you sold me on Emilio Estevez and Mick Jagger in a movie. Sounds like a thriller. Is it a sexual thriller? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not a sexual thriller. It does have Renee Russo in it, though, so that's something. Oh well, there's something. Yeah, she she was kind of she kind of was released on us after the sexual thriller dominance of the '70s and '80s. Yeah. So if you said Kathleen Turner was in it, eh, it's probably a sexual thriller. But Renee Russo, probably not. 
I got I got somebody who could have done who could have been Fletch. I think in from, from 80, 85, 86. I think Dan Aykroyd would have been good. I think he brings a little. You know, he's probably a little softer than Chevy Chase was. But yeah, sure. I think like him and the Blues Brothers. I mean, he can play kind of serious and kind of he doesn't have to be the kind of race dance kind of part that he kind of does sometimes. Right. Um, I think he could he could have done that, but I don't think we ever saw anything with like Dan Aykroyd as like a leading man, really. And as like a cool guy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we ever saw him because he um, Chevy Chase is probably more handsome at the time, and so race dance. I think even in Ghostbusters, race dance. That's all. That's his name. It's his legal name, race dance. Dan Aykroyd was maybe getting a little doughy at the time. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know that he would have been like as handsome. Like, would we believe that he gets uh, the girl at the end? I don't know. But but I think he probably could have done. It could have adapted. It would have been a different movie. But yeah, sure. Maybe six uh, years earlier, Dan Aykroyd, when he's still doing all the coke and everything. Yeah, we need a coked out Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Aykroyd. Uh, we had this new offer, but there is a stipulation. Can you get back on cocaine? I think back then they had cocaine like craft services. As part of the budget, like it was, it was just like out, like it was just oh. out, like with your oh, I'm going to make this little sandwich right here uh, during my lunch, and oh, here's this thing of cocaine, you know, for everybody to partake in. <laughs> um, so, since we're talking about these SNL guys, and I know in the past I've said for some of these older movies we've done, hey, maybe Bill Murray could have been in it. I don't think I want Bill Murray in this movie. I mean, I think he could have done it. Yeah. But I think, again, this is like, to me, Chevy Chase's best role. So I really wouldn't want to see somebody else do it, even somebody I love like Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Um, what about Michael Keaton? Could he have done it? Mm. I mean, he probably could have done yeah. it. I think he's going to probably, probably going to do it as well as Chevy Chase did. Because I think so, I, I read somewhere that Chevy years later and years later. I mean, I think Chevy Chase takes credit for a lot of stuff, <laughs> but uh, he was at some film school. Someone was they were asking the kids were asking him about Fletch, and he said that this was the first movie where they really let him just go, where they have the you know they had the script, but the director let him just kind of do his thing. And so I imagine that a lot of the. Well, I think a lot of the dialogue may have been just improv from Chevy Chase. At least a lot of those great one-liners. Yeah, I think all I think all the boring stuff was probably like that's from the screenwriter. Shamu's got one. Borrow his. That that may be Chevy Chase. Yeah. Anything <laughs> anything that Uncle Phil says that was the screenwriter. <laughs> I love it that we. I, I knew that you knew that was Uncle Phil, but uh, somehow he doesn't seem as big. <laughs> well, this is like. Six years, you know, probably about he, five or six years before Fresh Prince. I mean, I mean, he's not even, he doesn't seem as tall. Maybe it's because Chevy Chase is so tall. Yeah. And, but, you know, in Fresh Prince, Uncle Phil's like this kind of towering figure. And in this, he's just, he's just another thug cop. Maybe it's just how they shot him in Fresh Prince. Right. They were like, now listen, Will, we need him to seem huge. <laughs> Uh, Uncle Phil, he's like, I have a name, whatever. <laughs> Uncle Phil, we need, we need to shoot you to look menacing and uh, imposing on everyone. Looks great. 
and his partner, you know, who was, I think, probably in First and Ten or whatever. First and Ten, yes! <laughs> that's exactly, that's where I knew him from, First and Ten. How does he, so he's in L.A., and he's got this real thick New York accent. <laughs> it's fun, the different accents that are playing in this movie. The guy's working on the airplane. Mm-hmm. The one, he's, where's he from? He's not from L.A. He's got a real thick country accent. You doing some kind of stud flying or something? <laughs> <laughs> Chevy Chase said that he kept the um like dent- dentures and he uh-huh. would go out in public and people would not recognize him because he had those on. What do you think about that? That you, you would you be fooled? You'd be like, "Nah, that's not Chevy Chase. Look at his teeth. They're clearly different." No, I'd pull a Chad Newman and be like, "Hey, are you Chevy Chase? Merry <laughs> Christmas. Merry Christmas to you." <laughs> so, okay, so if you run into Chevy Chase at Target, on Christmas Eve this year. Is that how you're going to do it? Hey, you're Chevy Chase. Yeah, I think that's what I say. Yeah. I just say it with enthusiasm. But you don't say, you don't, uh, that's the only, that's the extent of the exchange. You're just like, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. That's it. Oh, hey, just, Fletch, great work. Um, why don't you come on the podcast sometime? We'll talk about it. There you go. There you go. Somebody's been honing his craft, <laughs> trying to get a, a celebrity guest. I want to be like the Quentin Tarantino launching people's careers from this podcast. I'm relaunching Chevy Chase from Mac and Cheese movies. I'm in. Uh, I'll support that. We'll have to tell him to tone down. I I don't know if he's a racist or what, but we might have to tell him to listen, tone down some of the weird stuff that you've been doing lately. We just have to stick to his filmography and not get into current events. There you go. There you go. We can steer this. (laughs) So I read that Kevin Smith wanted to direct, it was a script called Son of Fletch. Okay. And these are the people that were rumored to be involved in this movie. Ben Affleck, and it looked like Ben Affleck might be in it for a while. Dave Chappelle, Zach Braff, Chris Tucker, Jason Lee, Ryan Reynolds, Justin Long, John Krasinski, and Joshua Jackson. Interesting. Which is just so, that's a lot of names. So, something I'd read, and I think it probably fits in with this. So, I guess somehow Harvey Weinstein and Miramax ended up with the rights. Yeah. And so, Kevin Smith wanted to do it, and he wanted, I guess his initial choice was Jason Lee. Yeah, I think so. But Harvey Weinstein didn't think Jason Lee could sell, carry a movie, at least into big profits. So, Maybe late nineties, early two thousands, he tells Kevin Smith, You can do it if you bring if you get Ben Affleck. And I guess Ben Affleck was on and then he until he wasn't. And uh there was even um who was it after so after Kevin Smith left the project, what was it? Bill Lawrence? I think Bill Lawrence, who at the time had done Scrubs, now has done Ted Lasso, he was on board to do it with and they were trying to get Zach Braff on board. Zach Braff left, and Jason Sudeikis came into the orbit. And uh, and then the whole thing, I think the, they waited too long, and the rights reverted back I think to it, Yeah, I think development hell, yeah. Yeah. Um, we've talked about this before. The opening, oh, I don't know how much of the movie, but the beginning of We're the Millers, had me sold that Jason Sudeikis could be Fletch. 
the way he's like when when the thugs kind of take him in to see Ed Helms' character, and uh, you know where's my money? Like how he interacts with him so sarcastically, but yet kind of confidently. I thought, yeah, this is like Fletch. So I was on board for a Jason Sudeikis Fletch. Yeah, I'm I'm for Jason Sudeikis Fletch. I'm also for Jason Lee Fletch. I think yeah, I think Jason Lee would have been good. And Josh Jackson um, didn't weren't we didn't we shoot the big, uh, part of Ocean's Eleven with him? We did. He was a dick. <laughs> That's a story for another time. We'll we'll leave that one on the table. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what. I don't know enough about him to know if that would have worked or not worked. Probably not. Probably yeah. not. Um, it's kind of it's kind of weird that they didn't make. Well, so actually, I take take that back. So I read something actually just this morning that was saying when when Harvey Weinstein first got the rights, he approached Chevy Chase about let's do. I now have the rights to flesh. Let's do a third Fletch movie. And I think Chevy Chase never liked the script or something. And so it was like, okay, well, we're going to do a prequel, kind of a, a reboot and go from there. Uh, it's strange that as beloved as this movie is, that it it's only now getting like another treatment. Yeah. And I think the, I think the rights issue is pro- probably what kept this thing from really going. Cause they could do a TV show with this. They could do anything with this stuff. Um, this when it, especially when we have the Harvey Weinstein stuff, we have the development stuff. Like, hey, we want this person, and this isn't going to work, and then stuff just fizzles out. It just gets really hard, especially when the rights are transferring and stuff. Right, and, right. And now we got John Hamm, which the trailer does. I mean, what do you think about the trailer? The trailer did not like super impress me, and the fact that this movie's coming out in a few weeks, and I've only seen the trailer like recently. Is like well, I, I didn't even know this was jumping out. Right. So those things, um, the fact that it's not getting a whole lot of marketing or publicity makes me that, and it's getting a same day video on demand release. That makes me think somebody doesn't have a lot of confidence in this movie, um, or maybe maybe they just it's the new paradigm, and they're like, hey rather than pump all this money into seeing it make a modest profit at the theaters, we can spend a little bit of money and have it take off better on streaming. You're you're right. They might be experimenting with like how that works with kind of mid-level movies. Especially since the, the, I would think the target demographic of people who want to see John Hamm in a new Fletch movie are people probably around our age or maybe even older who liked the original Fletch. (laughs) So, um, I don't know what the what is it harder to get people our age to the movie theaters now? I think I think some, yeah. I mean, I think that's an industry wide issue. Yeah, so it's all it's all so, the demos. So if you say so, if you know you make it available at home, <clears throat> maybe the thought is more people will watch it. I'll watch it. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go see it. Um, I so I really like John Hamm. I think he can be really funny. I've liked him in some of his comedic stuff. Um. And for Mad Men, I mean, he can be he can be the opposite of that as well. The trailer did not make me think it was going to be very funny. Yeah, or at least not not Chevy Chase funny. Yeah, and I don't, I definitely don't want John Hamm to do a Chevy Chase impression either. Right. So I read um, oh a number of years ago. I read the 
the first Fletch book, which is the one that the, this chase movie is based on. And, um, he Fletch isn't, it's, it's not, it wasn't very funny. I mean, it was, it was a fun read, but it, it wasn't funny. It wasn't the one liners aren't in the book. So that's probably more Chevy Chase bringing it. Uh, he's an ex Marine in oh. the book. Oh yeah. So, you know, <clears throat> what's kind of made me think of this Tom Cruise movies, uh, the Jack Reacher. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, you know, like it, I don't think you ever think Chevy Chase is going to beat anybody up in Fletch, but in the book, it's kind of like, yeah, he could, he might be able to beat somebody up. He's an ex-Marine. So there's maybe a little bit of a toughness to it. And, and that's weird. Cause there's that line. It's like, Oh, oh um, I, I knew him in the war. Um, it's like, Oh, did you serve? He's like, no, uh, I knew him. Like I got him out. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Which may have been an homage to the, to the books. You know, that he was some sort of a veteran. Um, I, I always, so I thought, um, Gail, what is the actress's name? Dana, Dana, something Wheeler, Dana. Yeah. So I really liked her in this movie. And I remember even as a kid, like expecting to see her in more movies. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I saw her in anything until tombstone and she's barely in tombstone. Yeah. Yeah. So somehow her star didn't really take off. It's hard. It's hard. There's only so many like women roles, and, and yet Gina Davis's star did take off. Yeah, I love how Gina Davis gives the editor the finger when Fletch does too. And she kind of has a hard time doing it. Yeah, like she has to kind of think about which finger do I put up? Okay, here we go. I would have liked yes. more Gina Davis in this movie. I I could have taken more Gina Davis because it's a charming back and forth that they have. It's not uh, doesn't come across as like romantic. It's just almost kind of like mentor mm -hmm. type relationship maybe he has with her. Um, I th so also at that time, my dad loved the Los Angeles Lakers. And so I thought when I grow up, I'm going to dress like Fletch. I'm going to wear a Lakers jersey with like a sport coat over it. And Kareem's in the wash. Is that exactly. Uh, you know, uh, I remember thinking how cool he has a jersey for all these players Maybe he only had two, and it didn't dawn on me that you know. Also, I didn't know what a junkie was, so it didn't come like, oh, he's he's, he's supposed to be dressing like a junkie, a drug addict from the beach. That didn't occur to me. That's what he was dressed as. Does the um does this come together for you at the end with like the uh, what Tim Matheson is Ma Tim Matheson is doing with the South American drugs and bringing in the drugs and the crooked cops and everything? Does that come in really well for you? It seems kind of like shoehorned in a little for me, and maybe it's because I haven't seen it so much, so I'm not. I don't keep. I'm not really watching for all that. So, um, I think it's probably not. They don't stick it as well as they could have, in terms of you know, like a landing. Um, Fletch, so Fletch is the smartest guy in the room always, and he's putting this together, kind of going through. Okay, what what evidence does he uncover? The un I think the scene that really maybe ties it together is when he's following Alan Stanwyck and he sees him like exchange briefcases with the chief that clearly, okay, there's something going on here. There's, it's really more circumstantial evidence than anything. There's no, I mean, there's no smoking gun here. 
but uh, it could have been a little tighter. I'm with, I, if that's if that's what you think, I'm with you on that. Because like, it could have been. I kind of forgot about that, and I, re- I remember him doing the beach story, and I seem to remember like he drops the beach story because of this, but no, he doesn't. It's all kind of connected. But like I, I think when I'd seen it early, earlier, like I was like, oh well, now we're just on this. Now this is what's going on. So in the book, there are two different there are two different stories that are unrelated. Um, he's doing the beach story and it comes down where he's going to bust the chief. The chief actually gets indicted in the book and the chief like goes on the run and they play up more in the book. The, um, the similarities in how Alan Stanwyck and Fletch look that they could easily be, mis- they could easily be mistaken for each other. And so he finds out once Alan Stanwyck, you know, approaches him with this deal to kill him for money he does his investigation and finds out, oh, this is a fraud. He's just stealing money from his wife to run off with this woman. And while he's confronting Alan Stanwyck, the chief is like hiding out, hoping to kill Fletch. But because he mistakes Alan Stanwyck for Fletch, he shoots and kills Alan Stanwyck accidentally. Oh, so, yeah. So the movie ties them together like they're in cahoots. But in the book... Uh, that's more of a uh, mistaken identity type crossover, which they could have done. You know, I watching it this time, I have no idea what a passport from 1984 looked like, but I presume it has a photo on it. And I don't think Tim Matheson and Chevy Chase look alike, uh, like not even a little bit. Um, but I don't think we're supposed to dwell on that. No. <laughs> Get too caught up in it. So, something else about Dana Wheeler, real quick. She looks and sounds like Blake Lively to me. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. I can't. I can't imagine what Blake Lively sounds like right now. But uh, but she sounds like Dana Wheeler. Yeah. So I was okay. like wondering. Is I wonder if that's even her mom. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. That's interesting. Yeah. We'll leave it to your listeners. The to listeners can can go. Reddit that out. But is Dana Wheeler Ryan Reynolds' mother-in-law? Yeah, that's that's how they should frame the question. Did you notice how um, everybody in authority in this movie is like not to be trusted? Like the editor, the editor can't not be good. trusted. The chief um, of police, like all the police, yeah. the police are all all bad in this movie. And uh, and the rich, rich people aren't to be trusted. Even the doctors that we do meet are kind of like scumbags a little bit. Uh, and yeah, so there's kind of maybe that's a holdover from this '70s vibe of you know of the post 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 support. Vietnam post Watergate. Yeah, right. Um, so I noticed that that Fletch is the hero, and he truly is kind of like an everyman. In that he's not rich, he's behind on his alimony, he lives in this apartment, he drives this kind of beat up looking car. Um, everybody else is is cast in a kind of a, a sinister light, which which made me wonder how if could a big studio do a fletch like that today? I'm not sure that they would. Like a kind of anti-authority, anti-rich thread? Yeah. You know, it'll be interesting to see if in this John Hamfletch movie, 
are the cops the bad guys? Are are rich people the bad guys? Rich people may be a little more easily cast as the bad guys in current movies, but unless it's going like gritty, I'm not sure that they're going to let the cops be the bad guys. I don't know. What do you think? There's definitely an opportunity to make that happen, and like kind of crooked cops is a good story element. Kind of like in Fletch, there is no good cop. Yeah, every cop is a bad guy. Even even the guy who's like when when the two guys bring him in and they say the chief wants to see him, and he goes, "Oh, you'll like Chief Carlin." Like even he's he's like a cog in this evil machine, mm-hmm. um, and. I bet that is a holdover from the seventies. I bet it is. Who's the chief? Like what? I, when I see that face. I recognize that face. Um, so he's in. He played Jack Black's father in Mars Attacks. I know that probably doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> um, he. Um, let me look real quick. He's uh, Joe Don Baker. Is that who he is? That sounds right. <laughs> oh, so I'm I'm now on the task of finding out who he, like literally who he is. Okay, he he was yeah. It's Joe Don Baker. He was in Congo. He was in that Matt McConaughey movie Mud. I liked that movie. I can't remember who he was. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was in the Dukes of Hazard like, remake. The like the movie. Yeah. Um, he was in. He was in Tomorrow Never Dies? Huh. So I've probably seen... And, I've, and GoldenEye? He I've was in James Bond movies? I've seen, a lot, I've seen a lot of him in movies and don't remember him. That's... Apparently he was in Reality Bites? And The Distinguished Gentleman? I can... Oh, I can, oh, I can totally see him in Distinguished Gentleman. And Cape Fear? The oh. De Niro Cape Fear? Um... He was in The Living Daylights. He was in a bunch of James Bond movies. Yeah, he spanned James Bond movies. Um, So Fletch, before this, he was in The Natural. Um, He was in in a ton of stuff in the 70s. He's like having two or three movies come out every year. Um, A movie called Walking Tall. I think he was probably one of these like macho tough guys who could from the 70s so it, it kind of i mean right. yeah. it fits yeah it fits this is like back before everyone had to be like incredibly good looking for every part right right um and i remembered the guy who's the editor i recognized him from uh no 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 the lawyer the alimony lawyer i recognized him from space balls Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually thought, man, what a sucky part of a lawyer's job. He has to actually go and collect the alimony? Ugh. (laughs) How terrible would that be? Chasing down delinquent alimony payments. Man. And having to go up those, like, stairs. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah. You know, it's it's clearly sunny and warm, and he's wearing, like, a trench coat. I thought he was I the guy think... from Hey Dude for a bit. Do you remember that show? I remember that show. I don't remember who was in that show. Okay, well, I, I don't... Was, I, ben I, Stiller's, I, was Ben Stiller's wife in that show? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So That's he, all I he would have played the adult that like owned the ranch. 
and was trying to like run the ranch. I Is it the same guy? I don't. I don't think so. I think everybody, I think there are a lot more dudes like looked like him in movies at the time. Bald with glasses. Yeah, the bald with glasses was big in the eighties. Kind of a nerdy look, uh, an annoying kind of nerdy look. Yeah. yeah. That guy's been in a ton of stuff too. <laughs> These people have had incredible careers. <laughs> And they, they, I bet they don't even talk about Fletch very much. <laughs> if, if, if they want to come on Mac and Cheese movies, we'll talk about whatever movie you want to talk about. That guy was in a, a, show, a TV series called The George Wendt Show. I didn't know. I don't recall there being a George Wendt show. I think it probably only lasted maybe eight episodes. It was probably post Cheers, you know. <laughs> it was it was post Cheers for sure. So Fletch was before Cheers. It's I'm. Fletch, or at the, around the same time, in the first few years of Cheers. Okay, he was in the the lawyer was in Wildcats as well. He was the principal. <laughs> How about that? I don't think he was. I did not see that he was in. Uh, hey, dude, he was in uh, a, an episode of Doogie Howser. So there, and and an episode of Golden Girls. So there you go. We can talk about Golden Girls if he wants to come on. That, that's, you know what? Like all this work is more work than we'll ever get acting. <laughs> Maybe he might as well be freaking Denzel. <laughs> might as well be. He's he's a Denzel to us. But we don't even know his name. He's George Weiner. He's the lawyer from Fletch. <laughs> this is how we get Denzel. I'm, this is how we get Denzel on the show. They're gonna be like, they said what about me? Like, <laughs> right, George Weiner. <laughs> Who the hell is George Weiner? Didn't you love the setup that Fletch had in his apartment with that? It's like that basketball huge cutout of yeah. magic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, I thought, that's what I thought my life was going to be like. I'm going to have that kind of stuff. Me too. I thought I, this is what adult Chad is going to do. I'm going to have some rig set up that launches a basketball to me. I shoot hoops in the house, in the living room. In, in this, this like thing. efficiency apartment he has. I think once I saw Big, I really hoped that I would have some more open penthouse type thing like he has in that movie, <laughs> but with the basketball stuff from Fletch. Yeah. And I, I'd have like a little basketball goal in my room, but you know what? You, you, you get used to it. You're not shooting it all the time like he is. It's not right. like you're in a conversation with somebody and you're like, oh, oh, he draws the foul. Like you're not doing that. Like. <laughs> so I read that they shot, but they cut it. So they did shoot it. They should put this out as a expanded edition of Fletch or something. Some other kind of daydream where he, or a, yeah, some sort of daydream or something where he's pitching for the Dodgers in the world series. And Tommy Lasorda comes and takes him out. Yeah. I read that. that I read that. And that's that why, that's where we get this other thing. Exactly. Cause I, cause I was thinking even now I was watching it. I was thinking, man, what does he have against Tommy Lasorda? Like what, is Tommy Lasorda was he a controversial character? I and mean, what who who is he? It makes more sense that oh, in his dream, Tommy Lasorda took him out of the game. If you wrong me in a dream, I'm always mad at you in the morning. Same here. Same here. Oh, definitely. I'm like, yeah, definitely. I like look over at Shannon, I'm like, I hate you, guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to be near you right now. <laughs> you know what you did. <laughs> Even if you didn't do it, you would do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm the same way. If I'm if you wrong me in a dream, I've I've got things to work through in the morning. 
<laughs> Next time I do that, I'm going to punch a frame of Shannon. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's me and Shannon. Oh, it's me and Shannon. Yeah. I hate Shannon Coppage. <laughs> do it at her parents' house, though. So it's like a confrontation between her, you, and your father-in-law. Even <laughs> better. Okay. Um, what's the doggy bag? What are you taking home from Fletch? It's Chevy Chase at his best. He was never better than he was here, and. Um, and it's a sh- there's and there's some alternate universe where he kept doing movies like this, and you know actually it raises a question. So let's say let's say that did happen. Let's say you know let's pretend that he he sticks with more roles like Fletch, like kind of pseudo serious comic stuff, and he doesn't do Christmas Vacation. He de- he doesn't go that route. Who becomes a star in his place? Who fills that void? Oh, like who's 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 the Clark Griswold kind of character? Yeah. yeah. So who who becomes Clark Griswold? Like Steve Martin? Does he become Clark Griswold? No, because Steve Martin is so above that. Um, it's got to be someone like Ed Weiner or somebody, maybe. It's, kind of, it's an up and comer. It's not going to be like Michael Keaton or somebody that like. Oh, now now Michael Keaton's Clark Griswold or something. It's got to be. Wait, who's Ed Weiner? Isn't that the guy that like we just said was like Denzel? Oh. No, yeah, George Weiner. That's what I thought. But then I thought, oh no, I'm confused. Maybe he, maybe there really is somebody that I don't know about. Yeah, George Weiner. George Weiner would have been Clark Griswold, but for Chevy Chase pivoting to do more family friendly <laughs> stuff. Yeah, so now George Weiner's in Cops and Robertsons, who's directed by the Fletch director. Which is, he was just doing that for the mortgage payment, right? He had a grandkid in college or great great grandkid in college or something. Yeah, I mean, it's. Why is he, I mean, why is he doing Cops and Robertsons? Yeah, it's, yeah. And then he's like in Man of the House with Jonathan Taylor Thomas, was like the big, I think, above the title um, actor. But you know, the mid nineties were a weird time for these guys. Bill Murray's doing larger than life and the man with no brain or men who knew too little, whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, so doggy bag, Chevy Chase at his best. Um, I think the witty dialogue, maybe some of the wittiest. I, I, like I said, I still think of using the whole fist stock. I mean, in, in when I turn 50 and have to go to get, some prostate exam. I'm fairly confident I will at least think those lines if I don't say them. Let's let's make it. Let's make a pledge right here. When we get the, when we get the prostate exam, we say it. We go Moon River. Pledge pledge accepted and made. <laughs> and hopefully, uh, hopefully that future prostate examining doctor is listening to the podcast. And is forewarned so that when you and I show up on their appointment list, they're like, okay, I got to be up bring my A game. Uh, it's, it's probably going to be somebody 25 years younger than us that doesn't know what Fletch even is. Or it's going to be a robot. A robot might be easier to say the lines the to. The robot will know what that is. <laughs> oh, that's from Fletch. 
I'm not, I'm not using the whole fist. <laughs> Mr. Coppage, I am not using the whole fist. And at the end, it's like, I don't find anything wrong with you. Well, certainly not for a lack of looking. <laughs> what is your what are your take homes? My, my doggy bag is, you know, most people think of the vacation movies. But this movie is red hot proof that Chevy Chase was a funny, sexy leading man. Yeah, for sure. And the Underhill bit. Oh, man, what a – doesn't it end perfectly? I put the whole thing on the Underhill's American Express card, want the number. I mean, that's a solid ending. Yeah. And it, what, <laughs> Underhill is such a dick, um, like yelling at the waiter and like – I suppose you wanted a nice gratuity. <laughs> Maybe next time. Yeah, what a jerk. So he deserves everything he gets. Again, the wealthier the jerks in this movie, except for Gail. And Gail, how does Gail escape that? Because she's into Fletch? Hey, I'm going to go shack up this guy in his efficiency apartment. How about Fletch just moves right. in with her? Is that, does she have money? Yeah, it's her, her dad's got the company. Yeah, Fletch moves in with her. But, you know, strangely, in Fletch Lives, it doesn't even mention Gail. Sure. It's like... There's yeah. no references to the first Fletch movie. Yeah. It's like in the first Karate Kid 2 when there's that the one line, oh, yeah, her boyfriend now is his quarterback and whatever. Now no no more Elizabeth Shue. Yeah. Yeah. In the 80s, they were, they were okay just dropping love interest like flies. No, we didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's. What does he say? When, he's, when the cops are chasing him when he's in with that kid. That guy on the motorcycle was like, hey, Fred, how are the herpes? <laughs> <laughs> and then when he sta- even when he stands up at that, I don't even know what kind of a meeting that was. Were they veterans or something? <laughs> well, the v- is it probably like a VFW kind of, or it's like a, maybe like a moose um, organization? Yeah, what, whatever it was, when he starts talking about it, he's like, you know, it takes a lot for a man to confess how he got syphilis and where he got it. <laughs> <laughs> he talks about his wife. I mean, this is is so non politically correct now. But he's like, and his wife, she's finally off the alcohol and sedatives. <laughs> yeah, that has to be pure Chevy Chase. Yeah, they didn't they didn't script that. So yeah, this is an ode to the genius that once was Chevy Chase. Thanks for being on the show, Chad. It's always great having you on. Always great to be on. And we'll have you on some more, I hope. And please subscribe to Mac and Cheese Movies wherever you get your podcasts. Mac and Cheese out.